You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundation. My name is Rick Enlow, and I'm here with President of Leadership Foundation, Dave Hillis, right in the center of the urban core of the city of Tacoma. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing well, Rick. Thank you. How about yeah, you? It's good to talk to you. And we are usually seated right across the table from each other. That's right. But now we're kind of right across the country from each other. And, uh, and still, it's, uh, it's awesome to be able to get a chance to, uh, to crank out our, our first sort of post-COVID, even though that's not over, but, you know, it's right, post- right, right. Yeah, you know, and, and anyway, it's great to hear your voice. And, and I, I know that uh, um, folks that have followed our podcast for how many, how long have we been doing this, Dave? You know, I was just thinking about that. Um, Rick, I think it's probably now seven years. Wow. Yeah. I, I've, you know, the thing is, it seems just like yesterday because I've enjoyed every one of them. But uh, the, the, uh, the, I think it's important for us to, you know, double back a little bit, kind of collect our thoughts and uh, kind of regroup because we would hope that, first of all, uh, everybody's been so kind of scattered. And I mean, you know, we've all been really pressed during this time. But at the same, same, in the same way, we, we, uh, uh, are, pretty sure that there's some folks that, uh, that are new to the podcast and, and we want to make sure that, uh, they're acquainted with kind of our direction. And so we, we share a few ideas and have a conversation and, uh, and, uh, hopefully give people a chance to have conversations with one another, uh, about what we talk about, but it's yeah, Rick, you, you actually would be happy to know that with our little layoff, um, there has been a bit of a groundswell of people who have said, when is the Sidious Playground podcast coming back? And uh, that has been quite nice to hear um, people that have missed it. And so we're looking forward to picking this back up again and get it going. So, Yeah, well, that's, that is exciting to hear. And I appreciate that. Uh, one of the things that uh, people need to know is that there is an actual book called Sidious Playground. And uh, <laughs> you're the author, and we've we've uh, we've kind of made our way th- through that book on different kinds of journeys. Uh, we've kind of flown over it, flown under it, and you know uh, walked through it. But uh, at this point in time, the question could kind of uh, occur to someone: You must be kidding me! City is playground. The city is is turned into, I mean, the most at risk and difficult kind of place to be. I mean, we've really seen this virus uh, expose what um, many of us have already been aware of, but some folks have not, that there's a, an incredible yeah. vulnerability uh, in, ur- in urban centers and yep. not only uh, the density of the humans, but also the, uh, the disparity of, uh, you know, the, the economic realities and all that. So um, yeah. what would you say if somebody said, Hey Dave, um, what do you, what do you say? What do you say to somebody who says that seems like an unusual, a more unusual title now than ever? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question, Rick. And actually one that uh, we can talk a bit about this um, later. We've been hosting a, a weekly town hall, COVID-19 town hall, where we've been gathering the LF network uh, to really try to have a place, a safe place to talk out loud together about, you know, what's happening on the ground, what is taking place. And today's guest uh, William Storr, who heads up the uh, Center for Theological Inquiry uh, based at Princeton's uh, campus in New Jersey. Um, I asked him that very question. I said, you know, will you, uh, <clears throat> here we are, we have this vision of the city as a playground, 
and we've got the COVID-19 reality. <clears throat> and I think the very honest response would be, as you said, Rick, you know, what are you kidding me? And Will, being the, uh, the deep theologian that he is, said, he says, no, he says, I think that playground still, uh, you know, matters. And he says, the only way we're going to get back uh, any kind of, of normalcy of relationship with one another is if we use our imaginations. In other words, if we mm -hmm. begin to think about how we can play with each other moving forward. Yeah. So in some ways, Rick, I would say that the, the initial charism uh, that Sam Shoemaker and Reed Carpenter were able to grab a hold of, of leadership foundations, which was seeing the city as God's playground rather than a battleground, uh, maybe now is more needed than ever. Uh, because it gives you, I think, a kind of perspective uh, in the midst of some pretty horrific realities that, uh, yeah, the way through this is to begin to think about how to play together, um, mm -hmm. how to acknowledge the six-foot difference. In a sense, that's a kind of, you know, playful step. Uh, you know, instead of uh, being able to shake hands, uh, now we have air, you know, uh, elbow bumps. Um, yeah. All of these, in some ways, I think, characterize a, a kind of playful attitude in the midst of some pretty horrific uh, realities. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about, uh, um, I guess we could just identify uh, this virus as, you know, this enemy, but it's a, it's not uh, ideological. Uh, it's not, you know, a political enemy. It's not a geographic enemy. It's, it's not, you know, there's no ethnicity to this enemy. And, and so all of the triggers for blaming or uh, trying to be rivalistic or all the things that we, we have kind of knee jerk, you know, yeah, really don't apply in, in you know, the, the, the metaphors of, um, you know, battleground. I mean, you know, we, we have to switch them for uh, the metaphor of vaccine. So it's it's a very interesting time. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, yeah, we were talking about this the other day that uh, the the virus is agnostic, right? Mm -hmm. it, uh, it it pays no attention. It has no particular uh, you know sort of angle to it. And so, how do you begin to I think uh, make decisions uh, relate to one another uh, on, on the basis of that? You know, it's it's no great surprise that. Uh, you know, because of the way the virus works uh, and the fact that density, um, you know, is something that appears, you know, as best as we can tell to, you know, sort of expedite it, that some of the most hard hit uh, populations are, of course, those that are living in the city, um, you know, particularly the poor who are, you know, oftentimes uh, in very small, uh, you know, places of, 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 room so it, it can transfer easiest. And so I'm, you know, leadership nations, we're very much trying to keep our eye on that. And, uh, and so what, what's happened, Rick, that's been interesting, and this really, again, has emanated out of this idea of city as playground, is that we think moving forward uh, that there's going to be three phases uh, to the Leadership Foundation's work uh, in this space. And this, this really does pivot out of our grand vision of seeing the city as a playground. Um, these also, I should add, come from the Reverend Dr. A.R. Bernard, who is uh, one of our partners in New York City and our leadership foundation there. Mm -hmm. But his, uh, his idea and his conversation with us was that there is going to be a relief stage uh, 
or phase um, where, again, you know, we're going to have to have, you know, boots on the ground, people helping with just the basic necessities to keep people alive, the food, uh, you know, the housing, the, you know, the masks, the, uh, all the things that we need. But he says, we're going to move out of that at some point, And we're going to move into what he would call rebuild. And uh, there is going to be probably a whole new world in front of us in some ways that the, the same building blocks that we used in the past won't be available uh, or shouldn't be used moving mm -hmm. forward. And, uh, and so we're going to have to then get prepared for that kind of work. Um, and then ultimately, he says, there will be a third phase, which is rehabilitation. Uh, how do you begin to take men and women and uh, give them the kind of skill, right? Give them the kind of support that can take the new building blocks that you put into place uh, to really begin to, you know, again, flourish moving forward. Mm -hmm. And and I think, I think, again, the Leadership Foundation's vision of a city as a playground I think really captures that. Anybody that's ever sat by a playground and just watched, um, you, you know, there's always the little kid that falls off the slide and you got to do relief, right? You got to right. brush off their knee. You've got to, you know, put them back on. Uh, and then there's that, you know, that rebuild phase. I mean, it's, it's, it's teaching how to swing or, you know, play in the sandbox. And ultimately I think there is a rehabilitation phase to the playground as well, which is, you know, learning, again, how to work in this and move in this moving forward. So I, I like the way that it's almost kind of a hand in glove fit in some ways. Well, and I think the, you know, the idea that we're going to play our way out of this is just so much uh, more refreshing than, um, I don't know, militaristic or, or, exactly you right. know, kind of those other kinds of ideas that we tried to fit into this and it doesn't work anymore. I know that, uh, um, that we we taught, uh, talked a bit about um, the idea of responding, but not being reactive. Tell me, help, yeah. help me out with that again. Yeah. Well, part of this, let, let me back up half a step and say that um, one of the biblical texts, uh, well, and actually not just a text, but a series of texts that have been really important for me as I think about this this COVID world and post-COVID world that we'll be living in, uh, you know, in many ways, I think can be analogized, and I want to be careful here and not become um, <laughs> heretical, but is when you look at the post-resurrection accounts of Jesus, right? I mean, this, this horrific thing has happened. Uh, everyone is bewildered and, you know, uh, not sure up from down. And you begin to see that both in John and Luke and, you know, Matthew and Mark, obviously, they begin to record how Jesus uh, begins to re-enter the picture. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, Rick, that I would say, if you took all of those post-resurrection experiences together um, and you said, describe them, uh, you, you know, what, what, what do they feel like? What you don't get is... Uh, a harshness, a finger wagging, uh, I told you so. Uh, in fact, I think one could argue theologically that there's almost a lightness to it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe one of the most famous examples of it is on the road to Emmaus. And again, Rick, you've preached on it and taught it, but, but the humor of the story uh, yeah. where these two guys are walking away, they're muttering to themselves, they're actually in the Greek, they're having an argument um, and then Jesus kind of just rolls up on them 
and has the audacity to say, well, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and their response is, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? It's like, well, I might be the only person that knows what actually happened. Yeah. But yeah. again, there was never, there's never a rush, right? There's never, uh, I've got to make my point. Uh, you know, by the end of the road, you know, he's explained some things about the scripture, but it looks like he's going to pass on uh, and they ask him to stay and have a meal. But, but the whole thing, I think you could just simply just say there's a playfulness um, mm-hmm. in this that I think is, is really striking. And so all that to say, Rick, one of, the, one of the elements that I think comes out of that, that to me at least, um, probably creates the most credibility when it comes to leadership in a post, you know, kind of resurrection post, you know, COVID reality is that we, the way back is to be non-reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's, here's something that uh, James Allison has said that I'd like to actually read it because I think that this definition of leadership um, could not be more appropriate um, in the time that we're living right now. And so he, uh, James says this, neither reactive churches nor reactive states can be part of the sign of the beginning of gathered humanity reconciled with God. The fact is the meaning of the gospel, the life of God, the sense of the spirit is never to be found in reactive places. It is always and only found in hard one space where rivalry has broken down and forgiveness emerges. And, and Rick, I think those three phases um, of a hard one space where rivalry is breaking down and forgiveness emerges really becomes in many ways, I think for me, the framework by which you see uh, non-reactive leadership. And I think more now than ever, have we needed women and men, um, you know, living in cities, you know, in the midst of some pretty tough stuff, but they're not yeah. reacting, right? They're, they, they actually have a mindset of sort of, of kind of playing their way through uh, towards the solution. Yeah, and I think of uh, that other picture of Jesus post-resurrection when he's making breakfast on the beach. Wonderful. And, you know, uh, just that, that, that image is just remarkable in, in, in light of, you know, what they sort of had coming, you know, in their view. Completely. So, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. So that, that I think is such a, a, a great um, framework for us to sort of work our thoughts through because um, if in fact, I mean, well, I would say in my view that uh, one of the things that I would, identify leadership foundations globally as our hard won spaces. You know, they've carved out, um, you know, a playground, you know, in the middle of these amazing cities. But um, at this time, um, being non-reactive is kind of being uh, definitely counter culture in a lot of ways. That's right. So how, how could you help us um, see what that might look like to, to live in, in this non-reactive way in these hard-won spaces where forgiveness can emerge? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I mean, 
I wish, of course, I had a definitive answer for you, and um, I, I don't think I have that. But I, I think some of the ideas, you know, for me, Rick, that that I've been kind of playing around with um, is first that Thomas Merton has a has a really interesting distinction. He talks about um, essentially, you know, a life uh, that he describes that is eschatological uh, in orientation. Um, over and against one that, um, you know, in, in many ways, um, you know, views the, the end of this thing as uh, very problematic and, you know, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. And ultimately what, what Merton argues for is that, that it's the Christian um, who actually has an ability um, in the midst of some pretty dire, um, you know, circumstances to be eschatological, in other words, to have hope that the ending is going to turn out um, okay. Um, th there's a funny story. Um, I was little uh, and I was a big New York Knicks fan uh, and um, Walt Frazier and Willis Reed were, uh, were people that were near and dear to me, uh, the future senator and president candidate Bill Bradley was on this team and they, they won a couple championships together. And of course, this is going to date me a little bit, um, but for a West Coast boy, um, right, to, uh, to watch a game on the East Coast, um, you know, it meant uh, oftentimes that by the time I could actually see it on television, uh, the game was over. Okay, yeah. So, you know, here I am, uh, and I'm uh, having a chance to get the score of how the Knicks did against the Washington Bullets. Um, but it had this interesting impact on me. Um, it meant that I could actually watch the game. And when Willis Reed went down with a sprained knee, which he oftentimes did, uh, I had no reaction. Yeah. Right. Right. Because I knew how the game turned out mm -hmm. or when uh, Walt Frazier maybe, you know, sprained an ankle. Um, I was again able to be uh, in what I would describe as a non-reactive place because I already knew the score of the game. And that's really what Merton means, I think, Rick, by this idea of being a, an eschatological um, uh, leader is that you, you know the end of the game, you know what the score is, and it should have the net effect of allowing you to relax uh, and, and have hope moving forward. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, we, we had this funny experience where um, the it was two Super Bowls ago, I, I had to fly somewhere on Super Bowl Sunday, so... I show up at the, you know, the gate and uh, the end of the game is happening, you know, just as I walk through security and I look up and I see, oh, okay, wow. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Patriots won again or something, you know? So it was like one of those years and, and I was like, okay, well, that was interesting. And so then I, I walk down this corridor, you know, about 10 gates and uh, there's a huge group of people that are all gathered around and uh, they're just leaning into this television set. And then when I went there, I realized they were getting a delayed feed somehow out in the yeah. concourse and it was still like a, a minute to go. Yep. And, and that's why I had that same experience, you know? And uh, of course I was, uh, you know, I kind of played it out a little bit. I was like, well, I don't see how, you know, uh, how they could stop a run to the left side or something, you know, cause I knew what was happening, but it, yeah. there's something about that when you have a, I think we don't spend as much time uh, feeling assurance about the end of things as much as yeah. we do feeling anxious about where we're at. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think going back to your point, Rick, I mean, it, not only do we not do that, we in many ways believe that to do something non-reactive in the time that we're living right now would actually be perceived as uh, not appropriate, mm. right? Right. That, that we need to be running around and bouncing off of each other. And, and if you don't, in some ways, demonstrate the appropriate amount of paranoia of some sense of conspiracy, um, well, then you're just not actually seeing things the way they are. And, and I do think we need that counter voice. I, I think that voice has to grow and say, we're not going to gloss over, you know, some very difficult uh, realities, uh, that there is some horrific things taking place. But you can talk about those hard things mm -hmm. in non-reactive ways. And I, I think that's the voice, at least the the tone I hear in Jesus, and I think it's the tone that Leadership Foundations really wants to grab a hold of as well. Yeah, and I think the there's a big difference between having a uh, you know a sense of uh, understanding that the you know there is an end, and you know, and there's uh, also uh, someone who's scripting that, and then and then resisting this temptation to to have conclusive thoughts like that seems to be what everybody's doing is they're, they're trying to add it up and deliver the concluding you know and and it's just like you yeah. said it's it just becomes a disappointment over and yeah. over yeah 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 you know it's it's interesting rick one of my uh favorite poets is a guy by the name of christian wyman and yeah. uh he uh he writes some wonderful poetry he's even a better uh, commentator on poetry but in one of his poems called prayer He's got this wonderful little two-line deal that I, I think, for me at least, captures perfectly um, almost a, a bit of a mantra in terms of the time that we're living. Uh, and he's, he says this, he says, memories, mercies mostly aren't. But there were, I swear, days veined with grace. And uh, I actually used this at the LF board meeting, and I, I told them that for me it captures it uh, because he's, he's brave enough and honest enough to say, you know, memories, mercies, they mostly aren't. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not feeling all warm and, you know, kind of um, happy about everything. I acknowledge that. But then he also has the courage and the you know, audacity to say, but you know what? I see veins of grace and, and that, that idea of these veins of grace surfacing in our cities, uh, in the leadership foundations work. Uh, I I've just seen it time and time again, and it's, it's, it's pretty breathtaking. So, yeah. And I think the, um, the idea of, uh, being spiritually developed, or I guess you could use the word whole, the, the holiness of, you know, that aspect of what God gives us, uh, is many times, you know, not described as non-reactive, you know, I mean, we, we don't, but right. I, I think that, um, that you've talked about that, how there's a kind of a, the practice of holiness, you know, does have this non-reactive component. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's resting heart rate. I mean, ultimately what holy, holiness means is seeing things whole, seeing how it's all connected. Um, and I think that, one of the things that scares us all, uh, but it's a natural tendency, is when we get more and more isolated. 
you know, when we get more and more compartmentalized, sectioned off from one another, um, I think a natural result is an anxiousness begins to grow in that. Um, but it's a, it's a very curious and difficult question because, you know, right now we're asked to social distance. Uh, right. you know, in fact, we're asked to quarantine. We're asked uh, to get over into our part of the house or yard or, you know, office. And so I think one of the really kind of almost existential critical crisis questions is, as we obey the rule of the land that is rightly putting us into, you know, kind of sections, how do we continue to have a perspective that sees things whole? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's one of the really interesting questions right now, Rick is, is, and I think this is the, the faith community. I mean, your church, it's, you know, uh, you know, I hope uh, pastors and preachers are, are, you know, really touching that reality because I think it's precisely there and a kind of almost a recovery of what holiness really means that will help begin to, um, you know, weave these uh, these parts of our life back together virtually, even uh, moving forward. So yeah, yeah. Well, that that's kind of the, what we've experienced is uh, sort of safety by fragmentation, but um, that's yeah. not how we were built. Now, I I have a um, interesting memory which I um, reminded me so much of the leadership foundations around the world. And that is that when the Ebola uh, outbreak happened in West Africa, uh, I had a friend who was at work in that part of the world, and he ended up um, being kind of a major participant in, in uh, assisting the folks that were in that area. And the reason that, that he was chosen to kind of lead the effort was that they were embedded you know, uh, in West Africa for years and years. Um, they had some hard won space, you know, that they, they had been in and when the different agencies were trying to, you know, find somebody that, you know, could make a difference, they, they looked for the people that were already in place. And I think, I think about yeah. that with, with the, uh, leadership foundations who are already like embedded, who are not, you know, coming together with some initiative, you know, in response to this, but who are already embedded in place yeah. in the, in the city already, um, at work, you know, yeah. with the vulnerable. So I think that's one of the, yeah. it's one of the neat things about what's happening. I mean, you know, the bright, the bright abyss to, to, to put it in a Christian yeah, terms. terms. Yeah. 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 In fact, uh, I mean, just as a little aside, um, on these town halls and as we put together this, this COVID, uh, 19, um, activation uh, fund is what we're calling it. Uh, the, uh, we had the really smart idea, I think, of saying, well, let's find out before we start going out and raising money, what have leadership foundations already been doing, to your point, in this relief space? And so we did a survey of the, uh, of the network. And I, you know, uh, knew, at least in my heart of hearts, that I thought it would be a good number, right? That, yeah. that we would have activated some significant money and resource. Uh, but the actual number uh, far exceeded what I anticipated. And when it was all aggregated, Rick, um, you know, the leadership foundations around the world have activated four and a half million dollars uh, in volunteers, uh, in actual money, in mm. providing meals, uh, in helping with uh, health care. Um, and, and it was a, 
both a breathtaking number, but also I think a number that spoke exactly to what you just articulated. Um, and that is, is that there is a, a level of trust, um, right, in us as a intermediary group in a city that can just simply help get things done. You know, the other thing that's really curious, and I think you've probably read some of this. I know David Brooks has referenced this. Um, I'm thinking a couple of other writers. But they have begun to look at where are the places that um, appear to maybe be getting not ahead, you know, of the COVID-19 thing, but at least are making some successful, you know, moves ahead. And where is it not taking place? And what is what is the reason for that? And and David Brooks's you know argument is uh, it's trustworthiness. Um, institutions that are trusted, um, good advances taking place because people you know believe it. And where uh, that's not at play, um, then we're not seeing the kind of progress that we want. And of course, unfortunately, here in the states, we're one of those where you know there's not a high degree of trust for institutions. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's in that space. Um, I think leadership foundations, you know, perhaps more than ever, Rick, um, are a trusted institution um, yeah. Yeah. because we had, you know, feet on the ground and all of that. So, uh, again, another vein of grace for me that, that kind of surfaced with regard to this. Well, and I think, um, you know, the, the idea of, of being trusted, it, it reminds me of this whole essential word that we've heard so much about. Like I kind of thought, honestly, sadly, Dave, that like sports was kind of essential. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was thinking, uh, I mean, you know, I just thought the masters golf tournament, uh, was kind of a highlight for me. I always kind of followed that, you know, year to year. And then I found out that like, honestly, you know, not essential. And I think that, that, you know, when you really drill down and you think what is like capital E essential, you know, it's trust and, and, and especially uh, yep. trust in a non-reactive leadership model, you know, because yep. when you're embedded, you're not reacting, you're, you've, you're already there, you're, you're just responding. Yep. And so I think um, as we begin to roll out some, some new podcasts, uh, we want you to know that we'll be uh, exploring this idea and uh, we want to include some great thinkers and theologians and uh, remarkable members as we have in the past of the leadership foundation network who are on the ground in these cities. And I think that's one of the great, uh, assets we have, uh, the fact that, um, you know, our voices can span the globe and uh, we can learn from one another. So, uh, we're, we're going to once again, uh, sort of open our minds and our hearts to the tremendous work that's being done among vulnerable populations and communities. And, and I look forward to, to the next series of podcasts as we uh, explore this and uh, not only what ideas might unfold in our thinking, but uh, also some of the, some of the input from the town halls that are happening. So looking forward to that. That'd be great, Rick. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Dave. Godspeed. Thank you, Rick.